Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Comedy can come from a lot of places. For comedian Paula Poundstone, it comes from the week's news. You might know Paula as a regular guest on the weekly NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. The host, Peter Sagal, hits her with some quirky current events, and Paula comes up with a quick joke on the spot. It's the kind of thing you get good at when you spend 40 years in comedy. But you know, Paula can plan out a pretty good comedy set, too. She'll be back in South Florida on January 26th with a show at the Parker Playhouse in Fort Lauderdale. Just driving in South Florida is sure to give her some kind of new material. We suspect between now and then, there'll be something crazy in the news that'll work its way into her act. Actually, I can think of a couple things I want to ask her about, including some recent beef between comedians. So let's ask her about the week's comedy news. Welcome, Paula. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I see that you're doing great. You're joining us via Zoom, but uh, we got this great view of you sitting on, correct me if I'm wrong, it's an I Love Lucy throne. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it's it's a, a bench that's carved uh, in the shape of uh, uh, Lucy and Ricky and uh, and then, you know, painted uh, uh, Lucy and Ricky. It's uh, it's amazing. It's it's like I can I, I just I almost want to ask you to pan your camera and you're around your room because I feel like there's going to be comedy in many places in it. Oh, I'm not going to ask you to do that, well, but there, I'm curious. There's, there's <laughs> pets in many places. Well, I saw uh, there was a there's a there's a tabby on your on your lap there. Who are we, who is that? Yeah, I have a, my this silver tabby Theo and then I have two big dogs laying on the floor near me. I have seven cats and two dogs. And you know well, you know, in January we all go through this ritual of reflecting on the year prior and I realized that most of the money that I earned uh in 2023 went into some sort of expensive pet care like pretty much the majority of but by i have one dog that uh tore her in a dog it's called a ccl and in a person it's called an acl uh and it's just crazy expensive well, well it's crazy that, well it's crazy you let her play quarterback i think that's nuts Mom. yeah that was my mistake yeah. yeah yeah it was all the quick turns um yeah it it it, it uh the thing is, she's a young dog. She's only like, I don't know, what is she, maybe five now? Um, so they say, oh, right. So she has this ridiculously expensive surgery. And then they send me home with a stack of uh, instructions, you know, about how to care for her during her recovery. Mm. And one of the things was, she's supposed to rest for two months. <laughs> well, how exactly does, how does that look? Now, what I did was for the first couple of nights, I read to her from uh, Old Yeller so that she understood uh, the possibilities if she didn't heal quickly. <laughs> this could be you. This could end very tragically. Yes, Kitty. exactly. What is Kitty's name? Uh, that's Theo that's oh, crying that's Theo, like yeah. that. Yeah, oh, there, you, there is no... You know, they I'm always, when, uh, when you do... Well, okay, for, for example, specifically uh, what you mentioned uh, in the introduction, wait, wait, don't tell me. You know, during the stay-at-home order... Uh, when COVID first hit us, hmm. um, we all uh, had to, you know, move to our, usually we're in a theater doing that show, but we all had to go to our homes and, and record. Uh, I'm sure you guys had, except for you do news. So when you do real news, you get, you get to stay in the studio. But when you do goofy, goofy, wait, wait, don't tell me news, um, you, you have to go home during this stay at home order. Um, 
So we were all recording from our homes and they kept sending us um, instructions and videos about uh, how to choose, uh, you know, the proper place in your home to do the, the <laughs> Zoom recording. And, and they literally, I swear I'm not making this up, and I, darn it, I'm not going to remember the name of the um, broadcaster. Oh, oh, who's the guy who does, I think it's this, is it This American Life who does that show? Is that Ira Glass? I think it is Ira Glass. They literally sent us a video of Ira Glass in his closet, <laughs> like recording <laughs> in between like hanging jackets. And, and they're like, oh, do it like this to muffle the sound. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing that. Do, do you immediately, do, 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 do stuff, do stuff like that, because we all live through those that ridiculous portion of our of our lives. Did it just lead to comedy? Did it lead to, for you personally? Did you find yourself using comedy to, to adjust to that period? Well, you know, of course, I had no income. And uh, That's not you good. know that. That can be humorous or not, depending on the individual. But uh, um, so here's the first thing that happened. The first thing that happened is that every theater that I work for, uh, because I work all over the country, like I'm coming to the Parker, I work all over the country in theaters. I do one night uh, dates, generally speaking. And every theater that I work for, which was now shut down, and I, by the way, was was and would be again very much in support of the stay-at-home order. I, you know, I, I, I had no income. It was very challenging. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. But we, uh, as you know, as a country, uh, were hit with a virus that we knew almost nothing about and uh, was spreading rapidly and was killing people. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like it was a logical thing to do to try to stop the spread. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't angry about being in this situation. I was just like most of us trying to figure it out. Like, right. would I ever be able to do my job in a theater again, for example? Um, were there, a, you know, was there something I could do for from, from home or via this goofy thing, Zoom? Because we were not really familiar with silly, stupid Zoom at that point. Um, uh, but anyway, so... Uh, the first thing that happened is that every theater I ever worked for, you know, called me up or and said, will you make a video for us? Because they needed to keep their audiences engaged. Um, and, and they had no income either. Everybody's kind of terrified. So I worked my butt off. Oh, so you're, basi- uh, you're essentially doing comedy, recorded comedy specials uh, that you can then send to different theaters. Well, let, you, you know, just it. little things. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that me and every comic I know figured out fairly early on uh, that made me bitterly jealous of musicians, uh, which is, you know, I could do like a character and I did. I made videos uh, doing like little character things, little sort of set pieces. Um, but one cannot do stand up comedy over Zoom. It just can't be done. I, you know, it can be done poorly, but it can't be done in an effective way. And all these charity organizations contacted me and they were, you know, because it was March when we when the stay at home order hit. And so all these charity organizations that normally have their fundraisers in the spring were like, oh, we can't do the Could you do you know, could you do our online fundraiser, Oh boy, which was just a nightmare. And meanwhile, musicians 
a musician doesn't have to have an audience. I mean, would they like to sometimes? Sure. But overall, you can get really good on your guitar and singing, and you can do it in your living room, and it can be fantastic. Um, So here I was struggling and struggling, and every comic I know struggling and struggling to figure out, you know, how to translate what we did you know, some form of it for silly, stupid Zoom and just really, really having a rough time. And meanwhile, Mary Chapin Carpenter is, you know, playing away and her dog is running through in, in her <laughs> living room. And people, I swear, I'm a regular um, news hour watcher. Hmm. Uh, and uh, here I was like in the in this sort of fits of frustration over all of this. And I'm watching the news hour one night and they do like a, a specific piece on Mary Chapin Carpenter and her intimate concerts from her living room. I came to hate Mary Chapin Carpenter, which is unusual, <laughs> I think. So you get it. I, you, so, so much of the, 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 the meat for you, like is the feedback from, from an audience. Like that's how you know yes. whether your thing is funny. And and yeah. we've and and it's funny because we're kind of back in the stage like all right we're we kind of come through that period even though COVID has its spikes here and there which I think we're going through one now. It doesn't um, have its spikes here and there. It's like the second highest yeah, um, rate yeah, right, of right, infection. Right, it's I as think, high as it's been. Time. Yeah, it's as high yeah, as it's been right now. And there's a whole new. Strain. We're in a world of hurt, yeah. and people are pretending that we're not. Right. I, I I don't get it, but. Uh, well, so like, I, and, so you, but but we've seen some, you know, comedy kind of, you know, people, re, you know, return to big arenas and such. Uh, yeah. Are you, what has that been like for you to return to a place like you're going to be doing a show here on January 26th at the end of the month? What is it like? What was it like for you to do that first show back where you have the audience? You know, when was it, and what was that like? Okay, the first show back was kind of awful. Oh. <laughs> because okay, so again, you have to remember back to to how it was, which was. So they slowly allowed theaters and people were, I mean, venues in order to stay alive and order to, you know, continue to bring some form of uplift to their communities because, okay, I I keep tripping over myself, like going back to another thought in my head, but here's, here's one thing that the whole stay at home order did which was, it was like a social science experiment in many ways. Um, And one thing that I think we take for granted as a society, that is part of what, you know, sort of uh, cleaves us together, uh, uh, if that's the right word, Mm -hmm. uh, this experience of being an audience member, this, uh, there's a cat walking around my room crying, sorry. This experience (laughs) of being an audience member and sitting in a theater uh, beside someone that you may know or not know, hmm. it doesn't matter, hmm. but being a part of this collective community that sits and has and responds emotionally to, to a performance in front of them. And that can be a, a, you know, a musical concert, uh, a, a play, a poetry reading, uh, uh, you know, an up- it can be a wide range of types of performances, a dance show, a comedy show. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the it is exactly, but this thing of having a shared emotional experience 
makes you feel human. Yeah. I'm, and you, you don't get that with other forms. You don't get that. You know, when someone types LOL into their phone after they've watched a video, 99% of the time, they are lying. They did not because laugh out loud. No, they did not. They acknowledged in their head that they thought it was funny, but that's not the same. And do I, do I love to watch stuff on, you know, by the way, I have DVDs and videos still. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, can I watch things by myself and enjoy it? Yes, I can. But that experience of being part of a group, and I think, I'm not a scientist, but I think it goes way back because when we were in the caves together, right, there was some form of entertainment for sure, whether it was just the leader grunting at, <laughs> at, at the uh, members of the community, I don't know. But this thing of having this shared reaction goes way way back and when we didn't have it it affected us as individuals emotionally and i think took us further and further apart in addition to all the other things that take us apart well i want to talk to you about specifically about that and about the live shows and and we've had some comedy beef we had the golden globes which happened over the weekend i want to ask you about some of those things but first wait i have to tell i have to tell you why the original shows back were kind of awful okay and here's why because they allowed certain places, like I work maybe four clubs a year, and they're music clubs, and they serve food. Those places were allowed to open up before theaters were because they served food. Mm, right. So I did some of those in the interim, but they had those restrictive rules about how people had to be separated. Well, this goes back to my, you know, to my theory about sitting. Okay. People had to be like six feet apart. You could sit with the group that you came with, but then you had to be six feet apart from the other group. Okay, normally if you go to uh, like a comedy show somewhere and if there's not, uh, you know, great ticket sales, so there's not a big audience there. Normally somebody might come out on stage and say, hey, thanks for coming. Oh, you know what? There's plenty of seats up front. Let's have some people move down here. They, they would collect the audience together so that you have this um, uh, energy, right? This collective energy that I've been talking about. But during during this period, they didn't want people sitting together. So instead, you have this really, uh, you know, just the worst of both worlds. People sitting far apart. It's just like and, playing a dead club, basically. It's the, it turns into that. Yes, basically. exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you sort of created it. Um, so, I mean, there were good things about being there. I was glad to be back in many ways, but boy, those original shows. And the other thing is about a comic, uh, it is a muscle. Yeah. And it, man, if you don't use it for several months, it gets a little, you know, it gets I mean, a, in the end, it's a little rusty. It gets a little rusty. It, you do get yeah. a little rusty. So it was a, it was a heavy lift. Uh, uh, you know, when I was finally up and running, it was fantastic. And in the past, I may have like pre-stayed home order. There is a possibility. I'm not sure about this, but there is a possibility that I might have occasionally whined about the travel. Maybe. <laughs> right. I can imagine. Well, listen, I, I do. But like now, I said, I, want, I definitely want to ask about. You can put me in the overhead compartment. I don't care. <laughs> I definitely want to ask about some live shows. Again, I'm, I'm dying to ask you about the Golden Globes. I'm talking. To, I'm dying to oh. ask you about some comedy beefs. But first, we have to take this break. Oh, that. 
Our guest today is the author and comedian Paula Poundstone. Of course, you know her as a guest on the NPR show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but she'll also be in town playing at the Parker Playhouse in Fort Lauderdale on Friday, January 26th. So, Paula, I got to, like, let's, I'm so intrigued that in the first week of the new year, like, we've had so many comedy beefs. I mean, I'm not sure if comedy beefs are like a regular thing, but we've had so many of them um, that I, I feel like, like, take me in. Like, are there more that I'm used to? Maybe it's because that Cat Williams interview that he did with Shannon Sharp has like three million views on YouTube, and he basically took everyone out. Uh, talk to me about that. Like, do, is that pretty common, or are we just paying attention because it got so much? It was New Year; people were paying attention. All right, this is a terrible, horrible thing that I'm about to tell you, which Ooh. is I have no idea. I <laughs> the, the names that you have just said to me are like that far side cartoon or that far side comic strip where uh, they, they, the guy's talking to his dog, Ginger, and he says, you know, sit Ginger, stay Ginger, you know, uh, I don't know, sit Ginger. And then they say what Ginger hears, which is blah, 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 Ginger, <laughs> blah, 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 Ginger. Because I, I work alone. And so I don't know any of these performers. Oh, so you're um, not you're not like uh, like tapped into Cat Williams comedy and in the kind of no, things. That... I do. You know, I, I I think I saw it trending on Twitter one day, and I had no idea what it was, and I guess I didn't click oh, on it. Well, that's, that's... Um, yeah. So yeah. Did I'm you no, watch any I'm of the no... awards show Sunday? No, I didn't. What I did see again, just on goofy, silly, stupid Twitter, was that the performer was panned badly. The 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 host yeah joe joe coy um and i didn't see it so there's really no you know i don't really have a great uh but here's the thing it's a terrible job hmm. i have performed to you know you're, you're you're working to a room full of people who are largely there um because they're hoping they won something hmm. <laughs> um and then they're friends of people that they're hoping won something. Um, most of them are, you know, Hollywood celebrities. And Hollywood celebrities make a terrible audience. They're awful. Because they take them, they're, why? They take themselves too seriously or? Because they're very been there, done that. Hmm. Um, they're not there to be entertained. That's not why they went to that event. Um, most audience members, uh, hope to really enjoy the show that they're seeing. But if you were to ask, uh, you know, when they do those God awful, you know, runway, you know, red carpet interviews that I can't stand. Right. Um, you know, they never, no one ever says, boy, I'm hoping to enjoy the show. There, you know, I no one ever goes like, you know, like I've, I, I, I watch the Oscars sometimes, not always, but sometimes no one ever goes, you know, I hope Jimmy Kimmel's good tonight. No, you know, I, I, gosh, I love Billy Crystal. That's why I'm here. No one has ever said that. All they talk about, and understandably, is you know, I, you know, I, I hope I win. I'm not going to think a lot about if I. That's understandably. So, so those shows, those shows don't don't interest you. Although I, I think I remember reading that. No, it's not that they don't interest me. I, I what I'm saying just is just a bad crowd. The poor guy that's, yeah, people don't realize what a lousy audience those people are. I had the, many years ago, I I did uh, backstage coverage, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, mm -hmm. 
for the Emmys. And it was really fun. It was it was one of the highlights of my life, uh, uh, of my performing life anyways, um, which is uh, I got, and it was really because of the work of my manager, Bonnie Burns. Um, Don Misher, who, you know, is the guy who produced all those shows. Mm. Um, it, it, I remember we, you know, it, Bonnie proposed to him this idea that I be allowed to do this quote unquote backstage coverage and that I just go and talk about what I see basically. Mm. And, uh, and that every time they come to me interstitially throughout the show, I'm in a different location. That was, that was pretty much the premise of what I was to do. And my rehearsal, Carlos was literally, cause I did go to a rehearsal. My rehearsal consisted of this. I would stand like I, I would say, okay, I want to talk to a seat filler. Okay. So I would stand in the lobby area just outside the door where, where the seat filler would come and go from. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is no seat filler at this point. It's just a rehearsal. And I would, and I had a headset on and I would say into the microphone to the, you know, to the director or what I would say, can you see me if I stand here? Can you see me if I stand here? That was my rehearsal. <laughs> That's all, right? And that was all I, because I didn't know what I was going to say yet. Right, because everything knew, depended on what you saw and what the observation was a la minute, right? Precisely. And I, ha I had the best time. Why? What I was it about my, it that was so great that you loved uh, about that kind of? A couple of things. One was that I knew that they wouldn't let anybody else do this. Uh, one was that I, 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 you know, that I, I felt that I, it was, it was, I mean, it sounds silly to say that it was, you know, new and surprising. But you know what? It was new and surprising because they, because everything is so scripted. Everything mm. is so tightly held in the hands of, did you know that when Ellen DeGeneres did the thing, when she hosted at the Academy Awards, and she did the thing with that photograph. Do you remember that? And it like broke the internet that night. Mm -hmm. That was that was set up. Like they all took a selfie together. I think is that what is that right. what you're talking about? Right. That was yeah. totally set up. She was yes. She was paid by I don't know was it Samsung or whatever. She was paid by the company right. that either made the phone. I, I think it was the company that made the phone. So they knew they were going to do that ahead of time. What I was doing that night, I had no idea what I was going to do other than where I was going to stand and sort of generally what I might want to know about it. And so, I, and I could, like there was this one moment where I was standing backstage and I was just behind the curtain from this, uh, you know, Hollywood audience, uh, but I wasn't in front of them, but I'm also talking to them. And so I say, you know, I'm really just back here, hmm. uh, you know, and you can see where I'm standing and they know where I'm standing because they've been standing there before. And I, when I started hearing them laugh, because they knew that this couldn't have been rehearsed. Like you were breaking the format. Everybody was in on, on that part exactly. of the joke, right? Exactly. And at one point, because I have, you've already experienced this, which is A, I can't stop talking and B, I have no sense of time. Uh, and so... Um, <laughs> They would. The audience you know, loves it, Paula. We don't care. We love it. <laughs> so they had told me, they said, well, you have, you know, this many minutes or that many minutes. And from the very beginning, I said to them, oh, I think Bonnie said to them, they go, she said, she's not going to know. She's not, she, that's not going to mean anything to her. 
So, all right. So, I give me some tips. Ha- how do we how do we stop you? Because we're going to get yeah, to the end of the show here's at some point. Give it. me some tips. All right. Here's how they did it. I had a stage manager with me, and he had cards that said, you know, one minute, two minute, whatever. Okay, for this countdown. Mm-hmm. But I am totally focused on what I'm doing. I'm looking into the camera. I'm talking about what I'm talking about. But I'm looking over to see these cards. So this is what they did. They had a stage manager guy that was just for me. He would crawl across the floor and tug my pant leg. <laughs> That's how they did it. I can't do that. I need to. I need to. Yeah, to, to script one of your cats to like to like jump on you when uh, when we get up at the at the end of the hour. Well, they have they have been invasive. They've been more invasive than they usually are. <laughs> you know, but but you're you've been playing in front of those crowds. Like I want I want to say that uh, were you the first woman to perform at the correspondence dinner? Um, I was. I was the first woman to perform at the correspondence dinner, uh, the White House correspondence dinner. And and let me tell you something about that. It's a horrible job (laughs) for the exact same reason. I mean, the year that I did it, it was a long time ago. This is how long ago it was. Um, Charles Bierbauer from CNN was the head of the White House Correspondents Association that year. And he was the guy who asked me to do that. And originally I said, no, I was like, no, I don't think uh, it doesn't sound good. And he kind of talked me into it and basically, you know, played on my ego, which is not that hard to do. Um, he was like, oh, no, I think you'd do great. But the truth is, and that what they do with that night has changed. Back at the time that I used to do it, or excuse me, that I did it, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie His Girl Friday, um, but it's an old black and white movie. Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell, and they're in the newspaper business. And uh, the the scenes of the press guys, you know, they had the fedora hats with the press thing stuck, mm-hmm. you know, the press signs stuck under the, the hat band. Um, and they were like these really down and dirty, c- cynical, sarcastic guys. That that was kind of who the press corps was back then. Mm. They didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot, a, a lot of these cable shows. There wasn't uh, press people weren't celebrities back then. Right, they right. were people that were just getting a, a story. I mean, you might have known a handful of them, but for the most part, they weren't like big celebrities the way they are now. Um, and they they weren't performers the way they are now, and so. You know, performing to they, they were there at that event, hoping that they might win an award. But you know, it's very much the same ideas I was talking about earlier yeah. about the Hollywood people. They've been there, they've done that. There is nothing that some girl, because I was kind of a girl at the time, there was nothing, you know, that some, some girl was going to come in and tell them that, you know, that moved them one way or the other. They, 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 they didn't even, I remember Charles Bierbauer was giving a speech at one point as the you know head of the association. They didn't even listen to him. They're a horrible audience. <laughs> so, so let they me ask you, so why is at it? round tables eating uh, oh, because that's... that's how it was set up. Yeah, there was right? rubber chicken on terrible, every plate. Right. Right. Those are just not the right circumstances to entertain in to begin with. So why why is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me been such... Like, why have you been so good on that? Like, why has that, and why has that been something that you obviously continue to love doing? Because they let me do what I do. Hmm. 
which was the same thing with the success of that little Emmy job a thousand years ago. At one point when they signaled the guy to crawl across the stage and pull my pant leg, I heard Don Misher, because I had a headset on, I heard Don Misher say into the thing, uh, into, you know, like to the crew, not to the audience, um, no, let her go. Hmm. Just let her go. Uh, Which was like, uh, you know, like my head almost exploded with joy (laughs) over the idea that they felt that what I was doing was valuable enough you know, that it should be allowed to breathe. And on oh, wait, wait, don't tell me. Uh, I had, I'm sure they hate it when I say this, but I had never heard of that show when they first asked me to do it. Um, and here's what it is. So they sent me, this is how long ago it was. They sent me an audio cassette of it. And perfect, I- Perfect, I'm in the I time. Lived, I, I lived in, not this house, I lived in a, a house a couple blocks away from here. Um, and I, this house that I'm in now, I rent. But like my house, uh, a couple blocks from here, I I used to own. And uh, when I went to look at houses, when I was trying to buy a house, I you know went with the real estate agent who had the scarf tied in different knots every day when she showed up at my house. <laughs> um, uh, she, she was early, um, Doctor Burks. Uh, she, she. So we're looking at that that house that I did end up buying and living in. Um, and, uh, I said to the real estate agent, I go, that big thing in the middle of the kitchen, can I take that out? Can I have that taken out? And she said, Oh no, that's your Island. You're going to love your Island. And, uh, she was right. Cause we vacationed on that Island summer after summer after that. Um, <laughs> it was, here's why I didn't want that thing in my house because I knew that junk would pile up on that silly thing. And I'm not a big chef, so it's not like I need multiple spaces to do my my chopping and, and uh, you know, uh, preparation. Uh, I'm my own sous chef. Are you um, are you like a one one pot one pot cook? One pot chef? Uh, you know, maybe two, maybe two. Um, one knife, one maybe, fork, one pot. Or maybe I, <laughs> I, 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 I finish with that pot, I wash it, and I use it again for the same preparation. Um, but so the cassette tape that was the, you know, to show me what Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me was, got left on, I say got left, I left it uh, on the island. And one day I uh, th- th- there was a guy that was a nanny for my kids for a while, and we were in the kitchen talking, and he saw that cassette tape. And he said, oh, my gosh, I love that show because it was labeled on the outside, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I said, oh, yeah, I never, you know, I hadn't even listened to it. I said, yeah, I never, I'm not familiar with that show. And he goes, oh, um, he said, oh, you have to do that show. So I went ahead and did Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on the on the instructions on, uh, you know, of my, uh, my kid's uh, nanny at the time. And at that time, <clears throat> this is, I don't know, 25 years ago, something like that. At that time, maybe not that long ago, 23, 24, at that time, the way they did the show was very much like what, what we did during the stay-at-home order, which is uh, we we weren't in our homes, but we also didn't have an audience in front of us. We were at the various, um, like I went to the NPR station, um, uh, the NPR studio in Los Angeles. Adam lived in New York at the time. He went to 
the one in New York. Carl Castle, who mm-hmm. was the announcer scorekeeper at the time, he he did his from the studio in uh, Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, Peter was in Chicago. You get the idea. So we were not we were connected via wire. We made the show in the daytime, as I recall. Uh, and uh, but we didn't have an audience in front of us. Um, but here's what I remember. So I go over the first time and I'm, you know, hooked up, uh, you know, via wire sitting all by myself in a little studio early in the morning. And, you know, everybody gets on for a few minutes and says, you know, hi, welcome, that kind of thing. And then they say, okay, you know, I'm making the show. And I was, I was very quiet, which is, you know, hard to believe. Um, But I was very quiet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because I didn't know when I should say what. I didn't really know what the protocols were. Uh, And in my headset, um, Mike Danforth, who was, I think, like the director at the time, maybe. Uh, Mike Danforth kept coming on into my headset going, jump in anytime, say whatever you want. <laughs> I can't tell you how unusual that is. It, it sounds to me a little bit like like when uh, musicians are playing together for the first time and they're trying to figure out when to jump in with their instrument yes. and that kind of thing and that's just similarly. Well, I want to ask you more yeah. about that, but first we have to take our last break. Our guest no one's today... tugged my pant leg yet. <laughs> that, that cat behind you, that's he's, he's in our pocket. Oh, all right. Our guest today is the author and comedian Paula Poundstone. Uh, she's from, of course, the show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR, which you can hear uh, every Saturday. She's also performing at the Parker Playhouse in Fort Lauderdale on Friday, January 26th. Paula, tell me, you know, we obviously, you figured out, you know, once you've done comedy for all, you figured out what your comedy is. How did comedy first come into your life? Like, when did, when did you figure out that you were funny and that you, you know, that first audience reaction that you remember? Are those times the first sentence of the last paragraph of the summary letter written by my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Bump, in I think it was May of 1965, I think, or maybe it was 64. She said, I have enjoyed many of Paula's humorous comments about our activities. <laughs> and Excuse me, I have a chronic cough. They, Which um, you talk about in your podcast. Nobody listens to I Paula Towns- Poundstone. I, I, yeah, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, my my uh, comedy podcast. Um, if I didn't refer to the cough, people would think I was dying. So I'm I'm forced to identify. I, yeah, I, it's, I have a it's, chronic cough. It's honestly shtick at this point, Paula. It, it's chick, which is fine. We get it. <laughs> yeah, um... Well, anyways, so your kindergarten teacher, like, hey, she gives you the first good feedback. She did. And and my mother used to keep the report cards in a drawer in the kitchen. And, you know, of course, in kindergarten, I couldn't read. Um, But uh, by the time I could read, you know, a year or so later, uh, I read that over and over again. Were were people in Um, your house funny? Was your mom, your dad, your who who in your who in your circle encouraged the comedy or was funny to you? Um, I think my sisters and I had fun, uh, you know, making jokes. Generally, I think, excuse me, as a, uh, generally as sort of an elixir to get through the, you know, the stress of, of uh, family life. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, uh, you know what? I'm taking you with me right now. You, because pick, you earlier, picked up your camera, I, and now we're, we're moving I through did. your house. We are. Earlier, I had to let my dog out because she was whining. And now I have to let the dog, well, let is the wrong word. Mo, come here. Come here. Uh, she's. I don't like to let them stand and bark in the backyard no, and bother it. the neighbors. I get uh, it. Sit. They also don't like that. The dogs. Mo, sit. Well, I think she's barking because she barks at airplanes, and we live on a flight path. So, I, so. The do- look, it, it, the dog works for us too. I hate to. Like that's that's part yeah. of our that's we need it we need him on the inside we send him a he's got an earpiece in look get inside because we're oh, gonna, yeah we're gonna he have said, to have to yeah. have a heart out at one fifty six so we need no, we need to, oh, yeah. to bite her ankle at right at that moment yeah you're gonna need that dog <laughs> I I have this okay wait I'm gonna show you this dog oh wait that's the wrong dog okay that's one I dog see a foosball table show. and a Here. drum set whoa what yeah oh he's a he's okay a golden. that's my dog he's a beautiful that's my golden. dog Mo she's part golden retriever and part Newfoundland. And so you think to yourself, oh, what a sweetheart. Not really. Um, kind of she's a afraid of she's afraid of everything. Yeah. And so it makes her a little aggressive sometimes. Um, but when we walk, she literally is a, any kind of yard sign. Uh, ha- ha- Halloween is a difficult time for her. Any kind of, you know, yard decoration. She's terrified of. Yeah. I have no idea why. Those styrofoam uh, gravestones that people put in their yards. Yeah, those those, those terrify me too. Well, we, before, oh, I don't think be, she understands the concept. She of, knows, you know, Paula. She burial knows. Gro- oh, you think she I does? Think she, I think that's the problem. <laughs> no, so compar- so before probably just yes. Go ahead. Before Mo rudely interrupted us uh, by having to come back inside, um, you were you were saying that it was like a comedy was a little bit of an escape for your house growing up. For you guys, it was oh, a little yeah. bit of like just I mean, dealing with. I, what was your house? I think that's like what up? that's what a sense of humor is for. I mean, surely it's why nature gave us one. When you think about it, I don't think other species really have a, a, a sense of humor. Maybe, maybe some dogs. I'm not going to say all dogs. Maybe some dogs. You know, probably you know monkeys, chimpanzees, things that were really directly related to. My dog, uh, my raccoons. dog doesn't. My dog doesn't have a sense of humor. As a matter of fact, if you want to pet him and he's not a petty mood, he'll literally just step back. He'll just step back. Oh like, wow! Yeah, don't pet me. Like a you know yeah. great dog, loving dog, but Ali has. Yeah, I don't think he has a sense of humor. Really. Yeah. I, so we're very lucky as a species um, <laughs> that we have that because it's a valve. You know, it's a it's a, it lets off steam uh, to to be able to make jokes about something and ease. I mean, that's. That's why going to a comedy show can actually be good for your mental health. Yeah. Um, and by the way, again, this idea of being a part of a, an audience that I think is so important to all of our uh, sense of uh, being a human being. Um, I want people to come see me at the Parker. That would be fantastic if they did. What's the date of that show again? January 26th. January 26th. January 26th. If people within the sound of my voice can come to that show, that would be fantastic. But guess what? If you don't like me or or you're not available that night, then, then that's fine. But go see someone. Not necessarily a comedy show, as I say, but go be a part of an audience. Put a mask on when you do it. Yeah. But go be a part of an audience. Who do you, who do you love right now? it's really good for you. Who are, who are you um, loving right now? Like when you sit down, that really just makes you laugh. 
Oh, I, I don't know any new people. I, I, well, uh, old people. It doesn't have to be new. I still uh, listen to well, music from when I was, you know, 13 years old. That's true. <laughs> Bob and Ray. I, I often, you know, if somebody on Twitter or something or a fan writes to me or something and tells me about a difficult time that they're going through or a loss that they've experienced, I always say, drink a lot of water, walk near trees, and and listen to Bob and Ray. They're an old radio comedy team. Neither one's alive anymore. Um, but, oh, my gosh, they're funny. I laughed so hard one time turning from Wiltshire Boulevard onto 26th Street. Uh, I was listening to Bob and Ray in the car with uh, my daughter when she was little. And honestly, I almost killed us um, because I got laughing so hard I couldn't turn the wheel. Uh, they are just so funny what was it about um, their comedy so, do you think that spoke to you and did it affect you like your your own comedy no i i don't do anything like what they mm. did but when you know i discovered them they sort of had a renaissance i mean I, I i don't know what the original years of their success were i would i would say maybe 40s or 50s but i'm not certain about that um but like my dad knew them. My father was very familiar with them. But then they had this resurgence, and I don't really know why, uh, but they had a resurgence around the time of, of the original Saturday Night Live. And then they also would occasionally be on David Letterman. Mm. In fact, Chris, um, oh, who was the guy from Get a Life? And he was the guy under the bleachers. Uh, Chris... Uh, I can't think of his last name now. I'll think of it when I don't need it. Well, you don't it. need it, right. But that was Bob's son. Uh, and uh, so, all right. So I had I had heard them before. Uh, I knew how they delivered what they did. They do these like little radio plays. These were, you know, they, 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 um, and when I was a teenager, I went to a, a school for uh, screwed up kids, a, a residential program. And I, I lived in a house with 16 other screwed up kids. And uh, I, I was in, I had a bedroom with like six screwed up girls. And I used, before I went there, I had bought a copy of a Bob and Ray book that was just their scripts. And it was called Write If You Get Work, I think. What? And I used to read aloud to the girls in my room from this book. Wow. Well, they thought I was a genius because I made it so funny. But what they didn't know is I was copying the way that Bob and Ray were doing did the comedy. It. Yeah. What, what got you in that situation? How did you, what was the, that got you in that? Oh, place? I was just a miserable wretch of a teenager. Um, by the way, it really until I was 40. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I had a long, I, I had a longer stretch of teenage years than most people. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just got to, I was. Why do you think, um, what, what was it going on that, that took it, that took it for a while for you to kind of put the pieces together? Well, my mom was not a lot of fun. Um, it, it, it just kind of a, she was really the angriest person I've ever met in my life. I think one time I knocked a Flintstones glass off the kitchen table and she said, well, damn it, we can't have nice things. Uh, so yeah, she was, uh. Uh, I feel like, young people I feel like don't even been, know what to say that again. I was gonna, I feel like that's led to some of your to let you have to write comedy from places like that, right? Well, that's what they say. I don't really know if that's true. You know, I, I think most people, you know, 
And I, I have to say, I bought into that concept for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I probably, you know, fed myself more misery mm-hmm. than uh, was necessary. Uh, I think for the longest time, I did have this sort of fixation with the kind of tears of a clown idea. And looking back on it now, <laughs> I just feel like an idiot. Like, yeah. I mean, so, okay. You want the tears of a... <clears throat> The tears of a poorly paid waitress, uh, those are valid tears. Uh, the tears of a, you know, the, the, the tears of a, a, of a low level uh, factory worker, the tears of, a, you know, of the people who have to pick up my garbage. The, the, those are tears, Real tears that right. should be responded to. The tears of a clown, I don't so much care about really. Um, so your comedy uh, but I think, is more, is more uh, observational. Like that's really where you felt like, that's what was funny to you and what was interesting to you then. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I just mean that idea, you know, comics love, I don't know if they do anymore, but they used to love to tell themselves that somehow uh, whatever comic, you know, uh, instincts they have somehow came from a difficult background. Hmm. Uh, and, and the truth is, if you get talking to anybody long enough, um, and draw them out with information about themselves and how they grew up, you'll find they're mad as a hatter hmm. um, because that's not exclusive to any one group of people. <laughs> they just have a microphone and can say it in a funny yes, way. Yes, ex- ex- exactly. And I was really, really lucky. I had wanted to be a comic performer, I, I mean, my whole life. Um, I, it's not what I always thought I would do, but it's what I always wanted to do. But I, I, I was... Um, Thinking like a Carol Burnett or a Lily Tomlin or a Gilda Radner or a Mary Tyler Moore or a, a, a Madeline Kahn. You get the idea. Mm. Um, I wasn't thinking of a stand-up, although Lily Tomlin is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stand-up. Um, I was just thinking of being like a comic uh, performer, and I missed that by a country mile. But when I was 19 years old, I was busing tables for a living in Boston, and uh, it's somebody and not me started up a, a comedy scene there. Uh, it, it's funny because the way they used to book their shows, I mean, they literally put an ad in the paper saying, we're, you know, we're looking for funny people. Um, and they started selling these uh, comedy stand up comedy night productions at a, a few different venues in um, in boston or the boston area and the way they did it because none of the people that came to them were very good because they didn't have a lot of experience and like in so many things experience is really important in this job um so they were instead of having a show that was an mc a middle act and a headliner what they did was they had a show where the most powerful the uh, performer on their stage was the mc um and then they had Five other performers on well, because well, nobody had more our, than a few minutes of material. Knowing about being that MC, we are now sicking your dog and your own cat on you because we're going to have Uh-oh. to call that the hour. Paula, thank oh. you so much for giving us an hour, and we look forward to hearing uh, you perform on your comedy show January twenty sixth uh, in Fort Lauderdale at the Parker Playhouse. Thanks again for so much for giving us so much of your time. And the hard part was having me not give you more. <laughs> Folks, and that's Sundown for Wednesday, January 10th. 
Leslie Obay Atkinson is our lead producer. Our producer is Elisa Baena. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio, and our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the show, best-selling author Brad Meltzer is, is known for his thrillers and his nonfiction books about historical characters. He's on tour for his two new kids' books about Mr. Rogers and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He'll join us. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. Public Media.